And, and, and I'll tell you one thing, and maybe your listeners, those of our business owners are going through these surveys, one of the things that I noticed in this is that, you know, when you enter into those spaces of some turbulence, you know, oftentimes in organizational dynamics, people uh, go to a space of fear. So, so what happened for us is that uh, some of the leaders began to question the very thing that got us to where we were. You're listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where today impacts tomorrow, vision stabilizes turbulence, and leaders keep it real. That was Scott Collins, the CEO of Facilities Management Services, who shares with you how to bake in social responsibility into your business, the growth that comes from employee retention, and the importance of refocusing your vision when fear sets in. So people, let's give it up for The Real Scott Collins. Enjoy. All right, let's bring the energy today. Bring the energy for the audience, for the fans. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Releaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining me today is the CEO of Facilities Management Services and the founder of Canopy Kentucky, Mr. Scott Collins. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Great to be here, Kevin. It's been a year since we last spoke, uh, so the first question I have for you today is, what's really changed in one year? Wow, Uh, quite a few things. Uh, I think a couple of things I'm really excited about uh, are some of the social programming. Uh, If you remember last year, we spoke about how we integrated um, social programs into our workplace uh, through, uh, well, first doing employee surveys to see what our janitors were cleaning business for some context there, uh, what they were interested in and, and what they needed help around. And, you know, we, we arrived at uh, a while back, uh, sort of two pillars of work that we were going to do. Our overall social mission being to provide access and opportunities for our uh, employees and health communities where they live thrive. But we really narrowed that down to uh, financial health and physical health. Um, so a change that happened this year that's really exciting we began to form um, intentional partnerships pre-customer. What I mean by that is, is we uh, began forming uh, unique partnerships with nonprofits in the area that are providing the sort of services or the sort of things that our employees indicated they wanted. So for example, uh, uh, we began the partnership before we found the customer. So we arranged a deal with a nonprofit. And let me give you an example. Uh, there's a nonprofit here locally last year uh, that we started this project in January called Choose Well. And um, Stephanie Barnett, who runs that here in Louisville, it's a nonprofit designed to help moms who are in recovery that have uh, children, babies of three years or less. And so we went to her and we uh, asked her what are some of the barriers that uh, her, her folks uh, are facing. And uh, primary one around a job was getting a living wage job, but also uh, getting transportation. So the idea was, is we formed a partnership to where she is uh, supplying her services uh, to the women, which is around housing and, and around support services to help keep them um, off the drugs. And where we came in and went to our local um, public transportation company organization, they gave us a van, donated a van, and we supplied the transportation. And then we created a, uh, a very transparent bidding process to where we would uh, offer the nonprofit uh, $200 per head for uh, women in the program that would go back to the nonprofit. Uh, and we would also provide the transportation to get from the work. We would also, in our bid, uh, pay a living wage. 
And then we went to potential customer, full transparency. Here's what we're paying. Here's what our margin is. Here's our equipment cost. Here's our supply cost. And, you know, essentially made the argument of, look, you're doing building profit good already. You need to building already. What if we formed a partnership to where this is, this is how we're going to do business? And uh, it worked. Uh, we got a, a passport help here in Louisville, Kentucky to, to bite our first attempt at this. And the amazing thing is, Kevin, is that uh, after six months through June of, of 2019, there were not any missed ships. Uh, and let me tell you what, in the cleaning business, that's off the charts. So this sort of shift to where, you know, the idea you know, for me and many people that are doing this sort of business is, is you know, how, how can I truly uh, uh, allow for the successful execution of my social main mission to allow my business to thrive? And, you know, in my business, one of the key issues is turnover. So in this particular case, example, in this particular example, it really shows how the successful execution of the social mission and, and creative ways to do this good in the world ultimately translate to better work performance and better services that we're offering. So that was the initial example. What's really exciting about this year is we've taken that concept and scale. Mm. We're going to take that and we branded it. It's uh, called Clean Start. We're uh, uh, co-branding with uh, the Urban League here in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, our goal is to take this and, and, and apply it to dozens and dozens of different customers in there. Clean start. Okay, this this is this will be a good topic then. So for our, our audience listening to this, maybe some people might think uh, social enterprise is very difficult to insert into my own company. But what you're saying is, with any company, you just want them to focus on their job by making their life around them easier, uh, by helping these moms in recovery, helping them out with transportation, having them feel like they can participate in things that they want to do, and that's translating to no miss ships. And better service uh, for the product. So maybe, how do you define a socially responsible business, and what are some misconceptions that go along with it? Well, of course, the biggest misconception, right, is that it's not going to make money. That we're a nonprofit, right? And and I, that, that's a mistake. For the reason I think about the way I think about a, a social enterprise is, you know, I guess what I just articulated, and that is, you know, how, how how do you take your your doing good, you're doing well. Uh, you're benefiting people, our environment, and actually turn that into something that allows you to be financially viable. So it's like that intellectual trick of, you know, I, I, I want to do the good, but how do I make sure that it allows me to be, you know, successful and allows me to pay bills? So you know, the misconception is, is that it's one or the other, right? It's a false opposition. You know, you, you know, you, you're doing good, you're taking care, so that must be a nonprofit. And and I think that's the biggest you know, thing I come across is, uh, you know, people also over oversimplify it. They think of it as something like. Oh yeah, we do nice things for our people too. You know, we had a good year last year, so we had carnival or something like that. Uh, and they don't understand sort of the full integration of that social mission into the functioning of the business. So I like to think of a when I talk to folks about this, I think of a spectrum, right? So maybe on the, the far left hand side of the spectrum, you have uh, maybe a traditional corporate giving program, right? To where hey, we had a good year. We got to stop people from uh, getting mad at us because we made so much money. How many? You know, who do we need to write checks to, right? I'm being a little. That's not that true. But over there on the left hand side is that. And then over on the right hand side, you have organizations that have a social environmental mission that do extract that from their business operations, the business will ultimately fail. And the idea is, is that you're moving along on this trajectory more towards that space over here on this side uh, and to where you're integrating that, that, that social and environmental good that you're doing becomes such an integral part of your company that you can't 
but you can't take it away. So that's really what's happening here at FMS is that, you know, recruiting and finding good people in a janitorial business and, and having them stay is a, is a tough, tough gig. And what's happening is that we're creating these innovative social programs and it's becoming the way we find people. It's becoming the way we keep people. And if we were to remove that, we would have a lot of problems. So you're saying this is an uh, an operational change as well. Not, I mean, a lot of organizations like you alluded to might have a marketing a marketing change that would be towards a social mission to give money back. But you're saying this operational change is translating in in your financial viability. Uh, now you're focusing on re employee retention alone, uh, employee satisfaction alone. Are there any other aspects operationally in your organization that you are including the social responsibility? Well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, let, let's just take the example I just gave. Sure, uh, you know, there's the employee element, but also think about the customer dynamic. So, you know, this is in selling. So now, now I'm walking into potential customers and saying, hey, look at this, you know, unique and innovative program that is very different than traditional janitorial companies. And in it is embedded is this good. So not only are you getting the building clean, but you're also, you know, more than likely, you know, we're obviously qualifying some of our customers. We're looking for people that are values aligned, right? So that we go in and, and that resonates with them. And that's not even to mention how the, the dynamic changes between us as a provider and the customer. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's not as adversarial. It's, it's like we're, we're in this doing it good together and, and, and they're proud to be a part of it. So then there's a storytelling element where they're a part of the success and you put that on the community and it just really changes the dynamic. So it's just as much customer engagement as it is employee engagement. Now, and let me qualify that. It's becoming more that way. You know, now that we woke up to this idea of, hey, let's put this plan together and go to customers with it. Scott, with uh, with Canopy Kentucky, you've obviously had a lot of conversations with business owners, uh, helping them be, be an advocate for uh, socially responsible companies. Uh, what are some of the? Do they have any feedback in terms of? Yeah, I, I want to do this, but I don't know how. What are some of the the <clears throat> the challenges with integrating something like this into their own respective organizations? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, fortunately here in Kentucky, and I imagine with most states, you have a lot of good people out there, business owners that are intuitively doing this already. So, you know, you've got a, a barber shop in, in Somerset, Kentucky, that gets free haircuts to single moms before school starts for their kids. You know, these are the things that show up and so many business owners are thinking that way. Um, so a lot of times what you get is somebody that's still in that intuitive phase of doing good. That's what I call it, where they're giving the haircut away. They're, they're doing something nice for the community, but it isn't really thought out as to how does that fit in with the overall structure of the business? How does that fit in with vision? How does that fit in with, with planning and execution? And it's, it's almost like a separate thing. Do these nice things over here, but it's not really linked to the actual business. So what I'll get oftentimes people say, yeah, I'm already doing that stuff. I do nice things here, do nice things there and try to really get that concept of that continuum I showed you, that, that line, you know, moving more towards that intentionality of really operationalizing the good, of making it something fundamental to your organization. And then the idea of the intellectual trick is, is figuring out that, that, that programming, those partnerships that you can do that really positively affect some sort of, of challenge or problem you're facing within your organization. So, so then it really becomes part of what you do. It gets fully integrated. So for like that barbership, uh, barbership, barbershop example, 
Um, yeah, you could have made a worse mistake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess with so here's an idea. If you were to, if this is like the give back model, and obviously this is a, a trade off where you're just giving away, you know, some money to to help someone out, but you want to integrate that operationally is what you're saying. For for instance, that barbershop. Now this might not work for every single company, but for this barbershop, you're saying is if you have say a mother who's a hairstylist. You could do kind of what you're doing with your own company and take the ease off of what they're doing, and, and everything comes centered around helping out single mothers uh, with, with sure. their lives. And so that, in, in theory, could not only help your employees' satisfaction, but you know retain them so that they can build their, their customer base there and, and have more haircuts and, and you know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Absolutely. So it's that. That's a great example, Kevin. That's great. That, that idea of moving more towards intentionality around. So, you know, how can I, how can I take this moment of, of, of that single mom coming in before school, bringing in her two kids, how can I take that moment and tackle some of the things that I'm facing? Maybe, you know, as a bar I'm facing super cuts, the, you know, the, the franchises that are popping up all over my small town and they're affecting my business. You know, how can I, how can I use that moment to help solve that? So who knows, you know, maybe it's handing out five tokens and hey, you know, for every one of these that comes back to me from your friends, you know, I'm going to give them one free haircut too, you know, whatever, you know, incorporating it into a marketing plan, incorporating it into something to where it becomes more than just that action and, and, and owning that and that that's okay. We're a for-profit business. It's the idea of the good becoming part of the strategy. Right. And, and the strategy, like what you've alluded to as well, is you are con- creating a comparable, like your facilities management services versus another. You know, you got great employees with sustainable products and uh, an organization that has the same ethos might choose your company over somebody else. Um, is there a competitive edge to, to this? And what do you fear for businesses who don't make these changes? Yeah, and there is a competitive edge, but it's still so new, man. So it's it's still, you know, it's almost, you, we're, we're, we're in an era of, of uh, much of us are trying to change consumer consciousness, right? We're trying to change sure. the way people make business decisions. Now, what's 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 exciting is, right, is, is it's showing up in all kinds of different spaces, you know? You know, uh, with the canopy, the exposure we're getting to uh, large corporations that are here in Kentucky, and they're really interested in the work we're doing because all of a sudden they're, mega corporations are saying you need to have a verifiable social or environmental mission so now they're looking to us to say you know how can we how can we incorporate that so and that's just one example of of how this is really showing up in in different spaces so you know i I think that it's 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 we can we're beginning to be able to make the argument that it's perhaps an inevitable change that that it's coming uh and you know of course we use the data around the, the millennials and you know, the, the, they want to work for and they want to buy from. But, you know, the truth is, is that it's popping up in so many different directions, whether it's BlackRock, whether it's CEO Roundtable now, whether it's the cover of Forbes. Um, but the truth is, is that the energy is there. Scott, is there a difference between like socially responsible companies and environmentally responsible companies? So, for instance, like, I guess I'm big into like market driven solutions uh, and that we can take on climate change and we can uh, reduce our impact on ecosystems, uh, you know, whatever Uh, is is do you believe that there's a difference one between socially and environmentally responsible companies? Can they be the same? And then can market driven solutions actually have an impact on this world? Right. So uh, this is something we're noodling with, too. And, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, and or, 
socially and or environmentally uh, environmental mission. Um, and the reason that we that I say you can you can be one or the other, and it's more about it's not truly oppositional. It's more focused. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, with us, we're we're I'd like to say we're a bi environmentally awake. We have a, a recycling program. We we put out a, a policy procedure that tries to minimize the use of water. We don't use disposable cleaning um, rags. We, we wash our rags, you know, those sorts of things. And we made a conversion to um, more fuel efficient vans, those sorts of things. But ultimately, you know, we have some key metrics around that. But is it is it truly core to what we do? I, I would say it's not. Uh, that said, the social component truly is. So in other words, uh, go back to that example I gave you. If you were to remove our environmental mission, would our, bills, would our business collapse? Probably not. You know, I wouldn't feel as good about it, but, but it probably wouldn't collapse. Now, when you begin moving, removing the social mission piece for us, I think the business really changes. The dynamics really change. So, you know, I, I think that, look, I learned pretty early on. You can't be all things to everyone. You can't be great at everything. And, you know, when we first started really, you know, that overall social mission I gave you, you know, provide access and opportunity to help communities thrive. You know, man, we were trying everything. We, we were all over the place. We had all kinds of different initiatives. And so we really lasered into the concept of physical health and financial health. You know, we weren't all that effective. Uh, so the I, I guess what I'm saying in a very complicated way is that I feel like you can be good at both, but I don't know that you have to be great at both. I think you should aspire to be great at both. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking at how can we get better on that side, but our mm. focus lies in social mission. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, to, let's, uh, the reason I asked that is because uh, of ESG. It's a, it's a risk lens for a lot of investors. Uh, and ever since, you know, you said that we're new in this space. Uh, Larry Finkslater, you mentioned millennials. 63% now are, are looking to improve society. It's a trend that we're seeing. Um, I was with some insurance broker this, this week and asked, talking to him about this topic. Uh, have you found that uh, by incorporating these socially responsible, these environmentally responsible uh, operational changes that uh, your risk of having someone sue you or having uh, an environmental the EPA coming after you um, is a lot lower? And are you seeing a difference in your, your you know, cost for insurance or just, I guess, receiving more investments? Now, that's a great question. So uh, we have an incredibly, you hate to say these things out loud as a, as a, as a superstitious business owner, but um, <laughs> you know, we have an incredibly low rate of you know, employee dissatisfaction, litigation around that, you know, sort of EEOC claims and things like that. And I attribute much of that to, I mean, we have 900 employees. So you know, I attribute much of that to uh, our culture and our environment where it's just so integral from the hiring process to the training through, uh, you know, the messaging that they receive that I really feel that that helps minimize those. Now, what I will say is that we've never really had major problems with that. Uh, and that, you know, but, but I also attribute that to us being in that intuitive phase that I articulated in the first, you know, 10 years I ran the company where it was a small family business and we just took care of each other. We were operating with the same values. We just didn't know what they were yet. We hadn't really gone down that intentional path yet. Uh, that idea of caring about the people you work with didn't really become crystallized to that first leadership retreat we had, which was about eight years into my tenure of running this business. Right. Yeah. 
Right. The, the, well, the family value as, uh, aspect of this is another question I want to dive into a little bit. Um, how are you able to sustain those core values? And if you were to ask a random employee in, in the company today, do you think they'd be able to relay what this company stands for? Yeah, that is a tough question and it's a tough challenge, right? Especially like in my business where you've got 900 employees spread out over a 350 mile radius. And it's not like they're showing up to the Ford plant all under one roof to work. You know, they're going to all the buildings where they clean and basically every day of the week and every shift is covered. So how do you, how do you do messaging and, and develop sort of culture around that? And that is a, that is a really, really tough challenge. Uh, and it's just being creative. It, it has to do ultimately, yes, we have technologies and tools that you can use for that, whether it be on their phone, clocking in a nice message there, putting up a poster in the closet when they come into work and they see some messaging there. Uh, you know, our, our family festivals and picnics, uh, you know, all these sorts of things and different moments for engagement. But at the end of the day, what I know and what we believe in is, is that personal engagement, that it has to be that face-to-face -face relationship building. Uh, uh, and so that becomes, you, you have to bake that into your systems and, and processes to where uh, our leaders understand that, you know, as, as a director, the expectation is that you're going to be in front of your people this many times a year, as, as a VP this many times, as an area supervisor this many times, as a as a assistant supervisor this many times, so that, that we can look at this scope and say, okay, you know, we know we're going to get X amount of touches face-to-face uh, -face with each of our people over the course of the year. And that, and that becomes, you know, that's how a value becomes integrated into, uh, you know, procedure and then policy. So, you know, if we're going to say that we believe in, you know, uh, uh, that we care about each other and that, you know, underneath that, we say that face-to-face -face communication is the most effective, then how do we, how do we make sure that that occurs? And I'll tell you what, it's interesting. So I went away to India in December uh, for 23 days with my son, my 14-year-old son. We met the Dalai Lama. You can imagine some things happened while I was there, you know, I got some perspective. Um, and one of the things I realized with our organization, Kevin, is that, um, we, we've had a really great run. Uh, I took over in 2001 when my father passed shortly after he bought the business. Uh, and uh, every year from 2001 um, through 2019, we had 10% more growth. So 19, 18 years straight, we had 10% growth or more. And what, what I came to realize in India was that, that we had done really, really well around culture, around caring, around people, around getting the right people in place, just a solid team of people that are really vested in the company. What happened and what I've come to realize is, is, and this is relevant to the question you just asked, is that our systems didn't necessarily keep up with the growth that was given to us. So being completely vulnerable and open, 2019, we picked up more business than we ever picked up in one year. And one of our key metrics being how much, what, what are our janitorial contracts on January 1st of that year? And then of those, not the new business, of those, how many do we have left on December 31st? It was more than double what our worst had been ever before. And that all happened last year. And what we're realizing is that we've done really well, perhaps around this concept of social mission, fully integrating it, getting people to buy in, getting good people in place that, but now we have 900 employees and how the heck do we effectively manage that with, with systems? And so that's where I'm at. You know, fortunately, uh, somebody gave me a book called Traction. I don't know, you might have heard it, uh, the, e the, the OS operating system. 
And we're in the process of, uh, of really trying to implement that within the organization. And the reason I really like it is because it starts with vision and values. That, that everything builds from there, and then then it moves into your processes, moves into your infrastructure, and that sort of thing. So it's that idea of those things have to show up, like the example I just gave you. They have to show up in your in your processes and procedures. So if you're going to say we're a responsive company, how does that show up all the way down to the example you know that they gave us? You know, if you respond all the way down to the receptionist answering the phone with three wings, putting a metric on that, you know that sort of thing. So. And kind of a tangent, but I'm just saying that you know the the you know the success of the uh, of the social and environmental mission and, and the good work we're doing has also started to tug at okay you know and 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 I'll tell you one thing and maybe your listeners those of our business owners are going through these sort of things one of the things that I noticed in this is that you know when you enter into those spaces of some turbulence you know oftentimes in organizational dynamics people uh, go to a space of fear so so what happened for us is that. Uh, some of the leaders began to question the very thing that got us to where we were. So there became almost this false oppositional thing to where it's like you're either on the, the compassion, you know, B Corp social mission side, or you're over here on the system side. And it was this sort of false opposition that had been created and, and having to break that down uh, and, and show that we need to fully integrate both of those things. Uh, it was part of the initial steps and in what I had to do. So articulating that vision is a very difficult to do for a lot of leaders, especially, uh, I mean, I know it's like myself, it's like our founders have such a great vision and I'm so operational. Sometimes it's difficult for me to see where he's right. taking this. Um, right. How do you articulate this vision and what are some steps that you took when you were making, when you said, oh geez, we've got this, we need to update this system now. We've got these 900 employees. It starts with the vision in this book that's telling me to do this. Where was the first step? And maybe is there a breakthrough moment that kind of pops into your head? Yeah, man. Uh, a lot of listening, a lot of listening. And, and, and I think that it, I think that you, you probably sort of know this out there because it's being talked about. In other words, I am, I'm about what is the synthesis of the group leadership? What's going on? What are they thinking? And so I just did a lot of questioning, you know, where are we? And, and then, you know, so the vision, let's do the easy one the first one the easy one is revenue right okay we're going to be here in revenue and then profit margin you know the numbers folks we come over that what's reasonable you know that one we moved through pretty quickly but then it was really defining like who are we what have we been putting energy so immediately we went well shoot obviously this social mission is pretty important right so then the second sort of we had like four primary components of our vision you know that's very clear there's four pieces so the second piece is we want to be continue to be recognized as a leader in the socially conscious impact driven business movement. That is that is a vision, and we want to have measurable benefits to our employees that are showing up continuously and improving. So that's that second vision. So there's that piece. Now, what's kind of cool about this is it ties in with our overall tagline, which is "Good people, clean buildings, better communities." So it all kind of fits into that. But that second one is around that social mission execution. Okay. The third one is the new one. This is what we've always wanted, but we kind of sucked at. And that is, we want to be seen as innovative leaders in managing janitors, in systems around effectively managing janitors. We want to be admired for that, and we want to be seen as innovative. So this is a new vision. Uh, this is one that we're putting a lot of energy into. 
And then the finally, the last one is, is we want our customers to feel like they're receiving the best customer experience uh, a janitorial service has to offer. So now we've got these four lanes that are obviously interwoven, uh, but everything has to feed into that. And it sounds simple, man, but we, we hadn't really had that clarity before. So, it, so it's now a filter. Uh, and uh, yeah, so did that for a lot of listening, a look at historically, where's the energy going in the company? Where do people seem to, to be moving and gravitating and, and feeling that and listening to that? And then really thinking about you know, how we how we put ourselves out there publicly too. What's our story? You know, uh, what, what how do people see us? You know, because that that that's relevant too. You don't want to go after some vision that's inconsistent with the persona that you created, right, for your customers and that. So anyway, all of that went into play, and then you know some discussion and sitting down and getting agreement. And, and listening and, and the, the turbulence part for me is really where that makes the most sense is if you're experiencing some of that, what you're saying is if it doesn't align with these four lanes, then it, it might not be worthwhile or worth our time, worth our efforts, worth, worth our costs. Well, all meaning is, is context based. So what I like to say is that it might not be right now. Right. So who knows? You know, I, I don't like to say anything is permanent. But for right now, where we are as an organization, these things, this vision makes sense. You know, who knows, 10 years down the road, we might say, hey, this, you know, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, but I think it's important to put it in that context because people need to understand that it's, that it's in response to what is. So in other words, it's not something that exists um, um, separate from the culture, from the people, from what's going on. It is, it is from them. Because, you know, sometimes I feel like it, in an organization, you'll have a leader that comes and say, here's the vision. And people are like, ah, that seems really distant from what I'm living, you know? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Another thing I was going to say is I've never heard of a company that has four visions, really. It's always usually just like one, but it seems like you have a vision for your customers, for your people, for the the overall, the overarching one, and they all kind of trip them together. So well, let me, let me clearly articulate. The vision is good people clean buildings better community. so it's okay so it's one right one so i just four. went into the yeah i took a step down and okay. sort of yeah yep so yeah the vision you know uh, the nomenclature the vision the purpose and all these things get confused even for me sometimes but yeah so the vision would be that simple statement uh that we want good people we want clean buildings and we want better communities that's See, our vision there you are articulating it to me i just need to do a better job of listening this time uh you mentioned metrics a couple times scott if you go to any conference around impact solutions or this conscious capitalism, they're going to ask you, how do you measure something? And, and obviously your number one priority is the, the top line, is the revenue. And that's the way you're gonna make those decisions. But you also said you wanna measure everything to the receptionist who answers the phone call. What are some of the things that you have started to track and pay attention to? Yeah, well, let's, let's start, well, let's talk about around social mission. You know, so uh, there's been an evolution there. So in the early days, it was all about in our programming. Hey, did you, did, you know, did you enjoy the program? Would you recommend it to a friend? You know, that was our sort of first phase data around that. And you know, how many participants do we have show up? That sort of thing. But what we're really trying to work hard on, and, and you know, again, we're not we're not the most sophisticated around this yet. We're, we're we're learning and evolving. But really, what we're trying to do is find a link to the successful execution of that social mission and uh, our success as a company, the viability of our company. So now the questions have shifted to things like, did your participation in this program make you more likely to recommend FMS to a friend, recruit a friend to work at FMS, make you more likely to um, work harder cleaning your building, 
make you more likely to be proud of working at FMS. So we're trying to move into some metrics that really show a link towards the successful execution of the programming and our viability as a business. You know, so, and that's a little bit trickier. And uh, maybe there's some of your listeners out there that might have some you know, ways, uh, better ways of thinking about that or most people that do, but we're, we're sort of dancing in that space right now and trying to, try to understand that a little bit better. Do you feel like you need to measure these things or, or do you think these are attributes that are going to help you in the long run? Yeah, I feel like because, because, because where I'm coming from, it isn't, it isn't just about my company. It's also my belief that we need to redefine capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, my belief that we need to, to, to retool the way we're doing exchange. And, you know, I realized that, you know, I got a low, a lot of low hanging fruit around me, you know, in terms of business owners and people that are thinking that way. But when the hard stuff comes, uh, I'm going to have that data uh, that's going to show how there's a, there's a real correlation between doing this and my uh, financial viability. So I'm always thinking in that way. In terms of internally, yeah, I think it's important. It's good to report that data because this is still so new. So you get some leaders that, that may not be 100% over there, but their language is around data. That's, that's what they see. So being able to articulate to them how this shows up uh, it may help to sort of uh, uh, get them more integrated, if that makes sense. But yeah, for the most part, it's external. The reason I'm doing it is for the bigger picture. Uh, Scott, we mentioned in like probably like 20 minutes ago, we were talking about uh, business owners that are giving back and not really seeing a return from that. Uh, you also just mentioned, I, I want to redefine capitalism and let's just take a stab at that today. You mentioned a systems update. You need a systems update in your own company. To me, capitalism is its own system. And just like our iPhones, every now and then it needs an update, uh, fix some bugs here and there. What are some possible things when you say I want to redefine capitalism what does that mean to you and and maybe what does that look like man this is where I'm going to steal from all kinds of people I read and, and watch you know um, so just my apologies Stealing to all these they're, they're compliments. I paraphrase and um, but so I think one important piece is to under the systems change so like I'm talking about is the first step in, in changing systems here at FMS is to get a really clear vision and to get a really clear concept of, of your values, revisiting your values, and your vision, and what are you chasing. So I think that you know for the longest time we've had a problem. It's even incorporated into law to a certain extent that the idea of capitalism is to accumulate wealth. I mean, on a simple level, and I think that that is outdated, and I think that it's insufficient. I think that uh, as many other thinkers in our day. Are starting to, to to talk about it's that idea that the capitalism I do believe is the most beautiful human construct. It is it has allowed so many things to happen. There are so many ways that our lives are better now than they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago. That's not to say that that's equally distributed, but that is happening. So um, now that said, it's not because of accumulation of wealth by a few. It's because we're solving human problems. Capitalism is solving the human problems, whether that be just entertainment, uh, popping in a DVD, um, uh, or whether that be curing cancer, right? But it's solving human problems. And so if we, if we begin with that as, as sort of a, a, a starting point, that the goal isn't simply to accumulate wealth, uh, but to make lives better in some way, I think that's a, that's a good overall first step. And then the idea of, you know, as you get down, 
uh, lower and lower to, uh, you know, you can talk concepts and, and, and I get, often I honestly get bored with hearing concepts like, hey, let's get down to the interpersonal. That's where it gets interesting to me. So what I like to do is take that all the way down to the idea of exchange. And, you know, look, it, it, it's, it's not about the art of the deal. It's not about, you know, trying to the most out of somebody in an exchange and, and leave them with, with less, uh, but redefining that idea of exchange to where there could be an equitable exchange to where both parties benefit. And then also to think about doing no harm to the people that aren't at the table or around the table. So that could be future generations or that could be the environment or that could be, you know, and the idea of sort of redefining exchange in that way and then building from there. Uh, so I, that's just a little, yeah, I could go on and on, but, uh, but that's a little taste of where my thinking is going. So you don't, you don't want to go on and on today? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. Thank you for the offer though, because you know, if, we were, if you were down here with me having a good Kentucky bourbon, uh, you know, we, we could go on for a while. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's like it, business. So if I have a conversation, okay, let's talk about bourbon. Not, uh, not all bourbons are whiskey, but all whiskeys are bourbon. So like all for profits are solving a problem, but they're not all, but not all socially responsible problems are a problem that is towards, you know, what you're saying is, um, something that's going to help humanity out. Right. So you could say we're solving a problem by uh, giving someone a software that's going to uh, help funding for nonprofits and improve you know, the pockets of my employees. But where do you draw the line really between you know, a company that's socially responsible versus a company that's not being socially responsible? Does that make sense? Is that yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. So that's where, you know, what I like about much of the work that's being done. So like what they did with B labs and even what we're trying to do here with Canopy Kentucky. And that's the idea of a balanced approach. So the idea is, is that it's not sufficient to create a product that may do that service, right? You also have to uh, operate uh, internally. Well, you have to treat your people. Well, uh, there's different, there's different components to it. There's, you know, the idea of, you know, just let's take example, you know, how are you leading? Are your leaders leading in an ethical and a fair way? Um, is, are your people being treated fairly? Uh, how are you treating your vendors? You know, how are you treating the neighborhood where you live? You know, yes, you're putting out a nice piece of software that's helping a lot of people here, but what are you doing in your neighborhood? What are you doing for the people that show up to work every day? Because, you know, yeah, the sexy thing is that external impact piece and, you know, everybody wants to look at that. Here's this great company that's doing this great thing for the neighborhood. But the fact is, is if you, you know, you're paying your people peanuts and, 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 you know, you have a horrible work environment, but that's not what we're, that, that's not part of this evolution, you know, and mm. you know, it needs to be a balanced approach. Um, so I think that it may address your question a little bit. Yeah. The balanced approach is, and I think you said it earlier too, let's start just by making improving lives essentially by taking that simple problem on. start by doing no harm that seems to be the logical first step like identify doing a set where, where are you doing harm and maybe maybe that's a good place to start uh, and try to minimize that but yeah doing good doing yeah uh, we can talk about that for a while too but yeah <laughs> so is facilities management services like uh, do you have shareholders in the company or is it privately held so I have uh, a few external shareholders but I also have 12 leaders that have equity positions in the company Okay. Uh, I own the majority of the company and the rest of it is distributed amongst like think, 14 shareholders. Okay. And the reason I asked that is, is I'm just alluding to the bigger point of, is it maximizing shareholder value? 
or kind of what we've spoken about today is, is maximizing its stakeholder value. How have you been able to um, deal with maybe some shareholders? Now, I don't know if they're all on the same ethos as you, but have you? Uh, what do you do when you have a shareholder that wants to squeeze every, you know, the, as much as much profit out of a business decision as possible? For instance, just for our audience here, if the recession hits tomorrow, probably the first thing they would do is would be to cut employees. Like, what would be, or have you dealt with any examples like this? And and what are your thoughts? Sure. Well, I guess I would answer that by saying, uh, one, we've been fortunate to have success. So they trust in the model. Um, they, they trust in what's occurring. Uh, and I think they also, they also know that, you know, part of the reason that this success is occurring is because we have a leadership team that really believes in and buys into this so that their performance is linked to this way of doing business. So I think I, I, I think they understand, you know, one of the root issues around it might be something more like, um, are they okay with a longer game? You know, because that's really what it kind of comes down okay. to. Is, you know, um, sure, we, we could cut out, you know, we did a, we were doing an analysis the other day and we looked at between a, uh, a bonus program now that we do and profit sharing we do and uh, employee end of year awards we do. Uh, basically, you know, we offer back to our employees about 35% of our profit every year um, uh, through those things. And now the argument being that one of the reasons we're so successful is because we do that and we will continue to grow at the clip we're growing and that you know, that short blip of a higher, more profitable year with better distributions is going to be nothing compared to what happens over the next five years, the next seven years. And my shareholders buy into that. Um, you know, and uh, I'll say this the right way. Uh, <laughs> they also know that this is the only way I'm going to do business. <laughs> right. So, and, and, and that links to uh, one of the values of, 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 you know, what we're going to call good businesses now. And that's that transparency thing. So when I went to... Uh, shareholders asking people to invest it at a certain point, you know, many years back, um, I was very transparent that, you know, this is the way it's going to go. And I, and I need you to understand that and, and don't invest, it, you know, this is going to be a problem for you. Uh, Scott, you said it's a, it's a long-term decision. Leadership to us, obviously it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so to bring this full circle, I want to ask you, what is your definition of a real leader? Yeah. You know, this would change as possibly. It seems like, you know, it, it has to do with what I'm struggling with, I think, at any given moment, right? So if you ask me in six months, it might be it might be different. But for me, real leadership right now is uh, being vulnerable and resilient. So that's what I'm feeling right now. So like I told you, uh, 2019 was a turbulent year. Uh, as a leader, I, I lost some confidence. I was not as confident as I uh, had been in years past in 2019. And that, that, was a, that was a combination of both personal and business. So things happened. And, you know, and going and getting some perspective and taking some time to, to, to realize, you know, one, just keep showing up during the turbulent times. You know, just keep, keep your presence. Don't go away. Um, but then realize what you need to do to, to, to come back and then be willing to share and be vulnerable and say, hey, look, this happened. You know, I'm a human. This is where I went. But then to always come back to 
always be resilient, to always, you know, fight through those difficult moments and, and to model that. And um, yeah, so for me right now, leadership is sort of owning, being vulnerable, owning where you are as a human and, and being willing to share that, but also uh, just having that drive to just keep showing up, man, and just keep pushing. Keep pushing. It's a marathon, people. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said, Scott. Appreciate your time coming back on the Reelers podcast. Sure, and congratulations again, uh, 2020's Reelers Impact Award Companies. Uh, looking forward to having you on the magazine. That's already out, actually, uh, yeah, yeah. as well as hopefully we'll see you at the Mo Summit or somebody uh, from your company at the Mo Summit. Uh, but Scott, we talked about a lot today uh, about socially responsible companies. Uh, it, what does it do? It helps employee retention, and in this case, operationally. Uh, a systems update, what did you need to update in your own system? Uh, capitalism, how can we re redefine it? And what does vision look like in your own organization? So for Scott Collins, uh, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, uh, be vulnerable, resilient, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Kevin. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did with Scott Collins today. And if you made it this far in the episode, well, you're going to be glad you did because you, my friend, are getting a free special edition. All you got to do is go online to real-leaders.com slash impact-awards, enter in your email, and you're going to be sent a free special edition that features our cover star, Miyoko Shinner, her story, along with the 100 top impact companies of 2020. You're not going to want to miss it. Go online, check it out. That's real-leaders.com slash impact-awards. All right, good people, and that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so, or tell a friend about the podcast to keep this conversation going.